Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his grand circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, mantenganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I wanted to talk about emergency preparations. Updating the breaking news this hour, Hurricane Matthew is pounding the eastern coast of Florida right now. Take a look at some live pictures coming in from Jacksonville, Florida. President uh, Obama and local officials are warning that the danger from this monster storm is by no means over. Utility crews uh, in Florida are working to restore electricity to almost 827,000 customers who are without power. CNN's Allison Kosick is in Central Florida in Orlando for us right now, where many on the eastern coast have fled to. Allison, are people still arriving where you are? They are. Uh, you know, Orlando is 70 miles west of the coast. So what a lot of Floridians do who live along the coastal areas, those barrier islands, they head west. And uh, many times they come to Orlando because it offers so many hotels. This is the land of Disney World. So, yes, a lot of people we found did evacuate and they're still hanging around because a lot of the roads that lead to their homes are not opened yet. So they they're stuck here for a while at uh, the Disney properties. Speaking of Disney, the most magical place on Earth uh, behind me is one of the quietest places on Earth today because it is closed for the only fourth time in its 45-year history. And each time it has been closed, uh, it was because of hurricanes. Um, the many people coming on vacation, that's not what they want to hear. But I want to kind of emphasize here, Disney World closing. It's kind of a monumental event here in Orlando. Disney World really doesn't close. We took a ride around a lot of the properties yesterday. Kind of surreal to see this sort of ghost town feel when you see the, all the lights on, but not a person or a car uh, in sight. It really is an amazing sight. Um, we are hearing, though, Wolf, that uh, Disney World is reopening uh, tomorrow morning at 8. Animal Kingdom adding extra hours starting at 7 a.m. With the hurricane heading toward Central Florida, it was interesting to kind of think about what Disney was doing and how things have evolved over time, given that back in the day, Disney had a whole other method for dealing with emergencies. It's kind of interesting to see how they kind of developed up this plan and everything that they were doing for dealing with the storm that was coming. So let's take a trip back in history first. From the day the park opened in 1971 until about the mid-1990s, hurricane forecasting was really kind of something interesting. It was sort of an art. There wasn't a whole lot of uh, science behind it. There weren't a lot of satellites. There wasn't a lot of computer information. So it was really just meteorologists trying to figure things out based on the weather patterns that they knew and certain uh, barometric readings and other factors that would be out there. They had the planes, of course, the Hurricane Hunter planes. They could fly into the storm and would collect data about wind speeds, uh, direction, barometric pressure, things like that that would give them some indication of what the storm was going to do. They would also use some of the weather patterns across the U.S. from some of the weather stations they had to be able to kind of try to forecast where the storms were going. Now, there was an interesting side note here that in the 1970s or so, 
I remember we, we used to watch these educational films in, uh, in school, and they were always the ones that were, you know, the uh, old 16-millimeter films, so you'd hear the guy talking like, we are going to talk about it. It was always kind of funny. But anyway, one of the uh, things they were talking about was the uh, hurricanes and how they forecasted for hurricanes and how, they how much they understood about hurricanes at that point. And what was really fascinating to me was they had this one little series sequence they did that really stuck with me. It was about how inexact the forecast is. So they show a guy, he's hammering wood on his window, and then he has the radio on, and the radio says, and the hurricane has turned 20 degrees to the north, and it's no longer a threat. And you can see him put down the hammer, and he, like, wipes his brow, and he goes, darn, you know, because he'd done all this work to get the, the shutters up, and now the hurricane was turning. And that's really the way hurricane forecasting worked. There really wasn't a good understanding of how it all kind of came together. So we had these moments where people would do things, and you kind of have to look at it and go, wow, it's a different sort of forecasting method that we used. So for that period of time that Disney had that, there was always these kind of guessing, guessing games that would go on where they try to decide which way the storms were going to go. Now, Central Florida being sort of inland, it doesn't have as much of an impact as, say, the coastal areas do, but it does have some impact. You do get storms that come through there at times, and they do knock out power, and they can take down parts of buildings. So you have to be concerned about it. Now, I remember as as a cast member in the early 1990s, down in the Utilidors in the Magic Kingdom, they used to have some boxes down there that were hurricane supplies. And they would, you know, they'd say hurricane supplies, you know, don't open unless of a storm. So when you look at that stuff, you realize that what they were doing was they were keeping like uh, extra equipment there with ropes and flashlights and other things to be able to uh, put covers on things that might need some covers to be protected from the elements and those types of things. So it wasn't that it was like food and water in there, but it was things that would help them in the event of a storm so they'd have all their preparations ready and they could go out there and, and uh, bolt things down, keep things together, and had a place to put everything. So they had a plan. They always had a plan. And what I can remember from my cast member days was they used to tell us, you know, just follow your instructions. You may be told that you have to do this or there may be something that comes up where you have to be ready for a storm, but just be prepared and always follow the instructions that you're given. Now, at the time, we didn't have cell phones or anything, so we had to listen to our, uh, our leads and whatever, and we'd get phone calls at home that would tell us update information. Now, I didn't work there at any point when there was a storm, but over the years, there certainly were some storms that came up from time to time, so you kind of had to be ready for them. Now, flash forward a few years. It's like into 2000 or so. And hurricane forecasting has gotten so much better. Now there's satellites, there's computer models, there's all these things that make it much easier to detect where the storm is going to go and protect your property and life in the event that a storm might be coming your way. So it's really kind of interesting the way everything kind of evolved. And Disney really took a large step forward in what they were doing. So one of the things that happened was in about 2006, the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration's National Weather Service declared Walt Disney World's resort and Lake Buena Vista to be storm ready. Now, it was the first theme park to achieve this recognition. Storm readiness uh, encourages communities to take a proactive approach to improving local hazardous weather operations and public awareness in partnership with the local National Weather Service offices. And storm ready helps communities improve communications and safety skills needed to save lives before, during, and after the event. Uh, storm Ready actually takes all these different things together and prepares people for a storm that may be impending. So when you look at it, what Disney did was they put together their own emergency operations center. Now that's something that most cities have, or most counties in some cases in the state of Florida. Some of the smaller cities may not have it, they may leave it at the county level, but a lot of cities have it as well. So for example, Miami has it, but there's also a Miami-Dade one uh, because the, both of those are very, fairly large. 
But in some of the smaller ones, it's only a county that has it. So Disney actually came up with their own emergency operations center. And it's staffed 24 hours a day, and they monitor storm traffic. They monitor what's happening in the weather. They monitor anything else that maybe have an impact to the theme park operations. Now, remember, Disney's always trying to protect their bottom line, but they want to ensure guest safety and happiness and welfare. It's all of those things that work into it, but it's all about making sure that things stay safe and they know what's happening. So they always stay on top of everything that's going on around them. So it's really interesting to kind of look at, uh, at Disney and creating this emergency operations center. They have computers. They have all kinds of other technical information. They're exchanging data with the National Weather Service. They know about lightning strikes in the area, for example. So one thing I'll tell you is back um, in the early 2000s, like before, maybe shortly after this came up, I used to go to uh, the water parks once in a while. And the water parks there, there would be a lightning strike, and they'd use the lightning de detectors that were around, and they'd pick up the potential for lightning in the area, and they'd take you out of the water, and they'd have you seek shelter. And they'd reset after about 30 minutes. Now they have much more sophisticated technology that, that allows them to detect the potential for lightning in the area, so that they're taking you out of the water in a at a safe point, and you can return to the water at a point when it's actually safe to return, which may not be the 30-minute 30, 30 interval that they used to use. So kind of neat that they actually were able to move the technology along and be able to be safer and more on top of what's happening with weather patterns. So that's the simple example, but you can take it further with some kinds of thunderstorms and other things that are going on. The other thing about the lightning I'll mention is that Ocala, up about 100 miles northwest of uh, the Walt Disney World Resort, is the lightning capital of the United States. So there's more lightning that happens there than anywhere else. So you can guess that Disney has a lot of lightning. So in the early days, they used to put up all these lightning arresters, different things where they'd ground it out so lightning would more likely hit those things rather than going in and uh, striking one of the buildings. But it still didn't account for understanding the weather the way they do today. So they can actually understand it and predict where the weather might go before something might happen. So it's really kind of neat that they're able to do that and be able to, uh, to do something about it. Now, Lee Cockrell, the executive vice president of operations at Walt Disney World, had said at the time, we appreciate this acknowledgement of storm readiness, of our continuous efforts to ensure the year-round safety of our guests and cast members, our partnership with local, state, and federal emergency management agencies, are part of our overall safety strategy that enables us to provide our guests with the highest level of security and comfort possible. Now, the reasons that they got the storm readiness, I mentioned the Emergency Operations Center. So they have a 24-hour warning point and Emergency Operations Center. They have more than one way to receive severe weather forecasts and warnings to alert the public. So Disney uses many channels to be able to get information in and send information out. It includes some of the social media things. It includes the magic bands. It includes your cell phones and different things that they have available there. There's a lot of ways that they can get that information out. Create a system that monitors local weather conditions. Obviously, they have their own weather monitoring station now. Promote the importance of public readiness through community seminars. That's something that Disney has started to do. They train their cast members more on storm readiness and being ready for these things. Like I said, when I was there 20 or so years ago, they didn't do that. It was more of a generalized sort of training. Now they do very specific storm training for every cast member that comes through there. I don't know exactly what it includes, but generally speaking, that's, that's kind of some of the things that it has. And then finally, develop a formal hazardous weather plan, which includes training severe weather spotters and holding emergency exercises. So they actually do some of these things. They do some training drills. They come through with different things. They try different methods for how they prepare for it, how they get crews ready, how they get people in touch with people to get them to come to work. So they're always prepared for these things. How do they get the uh, preparations ready so that in 24 hours in advance they have everything secured? All of those things come into play. 
Now, one of the other things that's happened that's not really called out in here specifically, but it's that Disney is working with ham radio operators in the Orlando area to have more communication with them. The ham radio operators, the citizen band radio operators, are the people who go and they listen to worldwide traffic. They talk to other people in other parts of the country. They have the ability to communicate even in an outage because these these, uh, shortwave radios are able to communicate over long distances and have information that's shared, whether it's through voice, through Morse code, or through any other means, there's an ability to communicate with other people. So Disney tries to encourage that as one of the community practices that they use. In fact, they host regular ham radio operator meetings at various places around the Walt Disney World Resort. About once a month, they have a group that meets, and it's really not affiliated with Disney per se, but they do some relationship. They do have a relationship with Disney where they're able to share some information, and they become one of the cogs in this big machine that allows them to share weather data and be able to communicate with other people so they know what's happening. So this is part of that whole storm readiness thing. I was aware that there were ham radio clubs in the Orlando area. What I didn't realize was that Disney is actually partnering with them and has some meeting space that they assign to them so that they can use it every month to be able to be a part of this whole storm readiness and be ready for things. It's kind of cool in its own strange sort of a way, isn't it? So how Disney responds to storms, we now know, you know, I think we have a better understanding of how it all fits together. That We, we know how Disney responds to storms and responds to emergencies. So the first time they had an emergency was actually in 1999. Hurricane Floyd was coming up the coast of Florida, and it wasn't clear what his track was going to be exactly. He was just staying off the coast. He might have veered in a little bit. He might have stayed off the coast. Nobody was 100% sure. The tracking methodology still hadn't quite come to the point it is today, so there were still some gaps in it. They weren't sure what was going to happen. So Disney actually did close the parks for the first time in 1999. That would have been around September. And uh, they did close the parks and did have everyone stay in their hotels for one day while they were awaiting Hurricane Floyd. He didn't make landfall. There wasn't a lot of damage from it, but it set a new standard, something Disney had never considered before, how to actually get people out of the parks and make sure that they're safe in their hotel. Now, at that point in time, they still hadn't come up with all their plans for how to deal with the cast members and everything. But So at that point, most of the cast members were still working regular shifts because it was the roads were still passable. They didn't think the storm was going to come on shore. It was fairly, you know, fairly safe for everyone, but they just thought it was safer if people weren't out in the open. The next time that something happened was actually in 2001, and that was during September 11th. It was a very odd sort of sequence of events because Disney just decided to react to the planes hitting the, the World Trade Center up in New York City and actually made a decision to evacuate everyone from the park for their own safety and close the park for the remainder of the day. They did reopen the next day. But this one's interesting because this is the first time they had to evacuate the park like that where they felt like they needed to close it kind of quickly. So they evacuated everyone out, sent them back to their hotels, and awaited instructions for what they were going to do next. It's not unlike a storm. It is another emergency preparedness thing that they had to do. But it was the first time they've ever had to do it in that sense where they evacuated everyone and then they closed it down. So things were shut down fairly quickly, and they uh, were able to turn it back around, you know, run back, get back up and running the next day. But interesting that they had to do that for once. And then in 2004, there were actually two hurricanes uh, fairly early in the season. They were uh, Francis and Jean that actually each closed the park for one day because they weren't sure what the track of the storm was going to be. Uh, these would have been in, like, I think July and August was when they both happened. But you had the track going along, and Disney wasn't sure what was going to happen, so they decided for the safety of their guests and for their cast members, they would close the park for those two days, one each. And so they did that, and they did the same kind of a thing where they moved people out, moved them back to the hotels, and had them stay there. So things have evolved. Disney now understands how to deal with these things, 
and they're well prepared for them. So when Hurricane Matthew was coming up, Disney was well prepared for it. They decided to go ahead and close their doors using their emergency operations information and all the things that they had at their disposal. They decided to go ahead and close for one day. But this is where things get a little bit interesting. And I don't mean to bash Disney here. That's not what I want to come across as doing. But I thought the way they handled some of the things that they did with their guests and their cast members was a little bit off. So let me try and explain here. They decided to close the parks and they sent all their cast members home. Now they want to be sure that the cast members are safe as well. They have families to tend to. They have hurricane shutters to put up on their own houses. So they sent most of them home and they created these skeleton crews that they called rideout crews that were there on staff and on site for the remainder of the storm. So they took a 24-hour shift basically and they were on, or it was maybe it was 12 and 12, I'm not sure. And they were on and they were there to help out to make sure the guests were inside, safe, and uh, could do some things. You know, they came up with different thing, activities for the guests to do and so forth. So at the resort hotels, there was sort of a mix of different things they did. They had uh, some games and activities for them to do. They had some movies they were showing. They did some different things to keep guests occupied. But the ride-out crew had to do more than that, too. They had to prepare for the storm. So in some cases, they had to relocate people. So people that were staying at Fort Wilderness, in tents and so forth, they found hotel room space for them and moved them, moved them to those hotels for the period of time that the storm was there. So that way they were safe and not sitting in a tent during the storm. Similarly, they looked at the bungalows along the Polynesian Resort uh, that are sitting on the Seven Seas Lagoon and decided that they could potentially get flooded based on the amount of rain that was forecast to come down. So they decided to evacuate everyone from there and move them into the main hotel as well. Now, all good things, you know, but it takes staff to do that. It takes work to do that. And I don't know that they had the right amount of staff to do it. So that's, the, that's kind of my problem here is that they may not have had the right amount of staff to be able to bring everyone in there. And then there was an interesting thing that happened. So you look around and you say, wow, there's you know, a couple of thousand people at every hotel that are, that are going to need to eat for 24 hours because you're shutting down the parks. So those people are going to have to come and find some kind of food. So what Disney did was they came up with basically emergency lunches and they uh, put together like it was a couple of slices of bread, you know, just, just a loaf of bread with a couple of slices of meat, a little bit of cheese, uh, an apple, a uh, bag of chips. And they were selling that for $13. And I'm like, I'm looking at that and I'm going, wow, that doesn't seem very consumer friendly to me. You have no choices. You have no alternatives. You have to take this. But it may not be something that's appetizing or particularly good. Now, I realize that you're in a storm condition and things happen. I get that. But it just seemed kind of odd to me. And it, you know, the lines were long and people had to wait a long time. And the cast members did their best. I realized that too. I'm not, again, not trying to bash them or anything that they did. Just felt like that part was a little bit haphazard and could have used a little bit of work and maybe been handled just a little bit better so that everyone could have been better cared for. Now, the thing that I realize is, you know, for the rank and file Disney cast members who are members of the Orlando community or the Lake Buena Vista community or live in the area, they do need to get home and they put up their shutters. But the people that are there on the college program, the kids that are there for the college program, they're there and they're staying at Disney-sponsored housing. So in my estimation, it certainly seemed to me that they could have kept them all on staff, brought them over and populated more of the hotels that with those people that were there for the college program rather than keeping them hunkered down in the, uh, in the apartment complex that they live in. You'd be better off using them in, in a space where they could be used and could actually help the guests to have a better experience rather than keeping them somewhere else. So that was the thing that kind of troubled me about it. I, I get that they wanted to let people go home. I get that. But the college kids that were there that don't have a home to go to per se, 
you could have obviously used them in some way and had them you know, put them to work to do things rather than just having your ride-out crews. The ride-out crews were great in certain areas. You want to make sure that nobody's in the parking lot over at the Magic Kingdom. Great. Use those people over there. But when you're talking about people in the hotel, you want to start using your resources efficiently so that they can actually go to work and do something for you. And then you keep your guests happy. I can't say for sure whether this had any impact on guest satisfaction. I, I just don't know. But you look at it and you say, wow, there's an opportunity there where they could do more. Now, I know that they made it up to some of the guests, guests who complained. They did something for, they gave them an extra fast pass. They did something for them to make it up. So there's something to be said for that. They, you know, they did help them out. They did make things better. It wasn't all bad. It wasn't a you know, horrible experience by any stretch of the imagination. But, and people were safe. At the end of the day, people were safe. And that's what really counts, that everyone went home safely. There were no injuries reported. And you didn't know what the storm was going to do. It was up the coast of Florida. They had determined that the winds were a Category 4 storm near the eye. And it looked like it could make landfall somewhere near Daytona, which would certainly put hurricane-force winds over the Orlando area and into the Walt Disney World Resort. So there's the potential that there could have been some very damaging things that happened. So I get it. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not trying to fault Disney. It just seems like there's still an opportunity here to do more, to do just a little bit better. And that's where I come back to this. As a guest, as a person who travels, as a person who's gone to different places, I was in the Boy Scouts when I was growing up, and one of the things they always taught us, it was like the hallmark of the Boy Scouts, be prepared, always be prepared. And my dad was really big on, no matter where you go, no matter what you're doing, always take a survival kit. You know, always have a couple of supplies, you know, some snacks, maybe some cereal bars, maybe a couple of other, you know, little things that you could have with you, some bottled water if you can get it, things that you should have with you just to last you a few hours to maybe a day if, in fact, you get stranded somewhere. And I have to tell you, it's great advice. And I've been telling my kids this throughout their lives. Always be prepared and take a survival kit. Just take with you some things, and that way you'll be well prepared for anything. On a personal note, it worked out really well for one of my kids. He went away on a school trip, and actually one of the, one of the buses they were on broke down. So they made all the kids wait around for like three hours. Now, they did take the kids over to like a parking lot where they could use restrooms and they had a couple of restaurants around, but the restaurants that they had were McDonald's and KFC. And my son doesn't like either of those. He's not a fan, but I had packed him a survival kit. So he had a number of things in his pack that he could eat. So he had some uh, protein bars and he had some snacks and he had some bottled water and he had some things, so he was fine. Now, he's a picky eater, so it, that worked out well for him. He could have gone into either of the restaurants that were there, of course, and gotten something, but that was not what he'd like to do. That's not what he likes. So he ate something that he was happy with, kept his belly full. He was happy. It worked out really well. That's that thing about having, having that survival kit. It looked like it was an easy trip. They were just going across you know, to another city and coming back. Not a big deal, but they got stuck for several hours. And you know, sometimes you just have to work around those things in life. They happen. I've certainly been on airplanes where the flight is delayed for a couple of hours and you're just sitting on the tarmac and they come through with the bags of peanuts and hey, that's great. But what if I had something with me that I could eat, something I could nosh on, something I could fill myself up with and feel comfortable so I didn't feel like I was starving when I was sitting there? And sometimes I'll even share with people around me if I, they look hungry. You know, that's just the way it goes. That's who I am. So my take is, my takeaway from the whole of Hurricane Matthew is, you should be prepared too. As a guest going to the park, yeah, I know, food service is great and there's a lot of interesting dining options and a lot of places to go and that's terrific. But what if something happens? What if you get stuck? What if you can't get out for some reason? What do you do? So that's why I always suggest taking a survival kit with you. You, know, you pack up some stuff, you just put it in the bottom of your bag if you want, or you put it in your carry-on when you, when you check into the plane, 
and then you just leave it in your hotel room. So maybe you get lucky and you never eat it while you're there. You know, maybe it just sits in your hotel room the whole time you're there and you take it back home with you and there's really no harm. You have it back on the plane when you're heading back home. But I'm always big on being prepared and being, you know, taking care of yourself in that case where you're ready just in case there's some kind of an emergency that you can't count on because things do happen. I tell you that I drive up from South Florida up to Disney World somewhat regularly and I've done it enough in my life. You know, I've been there many, many, many times. I've traveled that road so many times. I know every little nook and cranny. I think I know every branch on every tree. I know where all the road signs are. I know where the, the uh, cops hang out when they're doing their speed traps. Those things you just see, you know that. But it happens once in a while that something will happen on the way and you get stuck. And the traffic stops for some reason or you get detoured around or something else happened. And if you have that survival kit with you, if you have that little pack, it's nice because you can just take it out and have something to eat. And you don't feel like you're, you're, so, um, you're so out there. It really does make a difference. So the other thing to keep in mind is, you know, knowing the storm was coming and there was a possibility that it could come toward Orlando, at some point in there, it might have been prudent to take a taxi over to the local grocery store and just pick up some supplies. Maybe not much of anything, maybe just a few, you know, a few odds and ends to help fill you up and, you know, keep you happy while you're there because you can't count on somebody else to take care of it for you. I know it takes away from your vacation, I get that. And you want, you know, you have to time up when you're going to do it versus when, you know, when you're going to be in the hotel. You know, you want to do it at the wrong time, but maybe it is the right time to go over and, you know, take care of some of that stuff for. Now, the whole experience was not without its humor. There was, you know, Disney takes it very seriously and does everything that they need to do to protect life and property and whatever else they need to. Remember that there are animals in the animal kingdom as well that also need to be cared for. So yeah, as the storm approached, they herded them all back up into their barns that are backstage. They all have these barns that they live in uh, when the weather gets inclement or hot, too hot, too cold, whatever. They can go to the barns and that way they're, they're safe and they're secure. So they put them all in there and that was a good way to keep them so that they, they didn't have to worry about them roaming and getting injured. But the humorous part of this is that someone had tweeted a question basically saying, so what do you do with the animals during the storm? And Disney's response was so spot on and perfect. It was, it was just one of those great moments that makes you smile. And the answer went something like this. We allow our cast members to take home the animals and care for them. Now, occasionally the cast members don't return, but that's a chance they're willing to take. You gotta love stuff like that. They just had a sense of humor about it. Look, everyone came out okay. There was really no issues. Nothing major happened. Nothing bad happened, certainly. But when you look at the big picture, I think Disney could have potentially done a little bit more. I think they've come a long way to getting ready for storms and being more prepared. You know, and as you look at global climate change and things that are happening, it seems like the intensity of the storms have changed. There's more storms out there. They seem to come more frequently. Look, we may not have known as much heading into the 1990s. Uh, there was only one or two storms that went up to, through central Florida before that that were in the time that Disney was there. So you have to figure that you know, they have to be prepared for these things. But now there's been four storms that have actually closed Disney for a day, you know, in the last 15 years. So it does tell you that things are changing. It suggests that things are changing. And Disney needs to always be prepared for this and understand that things may change and may continue to evolve. The storms have gotten bigger, too. If you look at the size of the storms, they're enormous. When Hurricane Andrew went through uh, South Florida back in 1992, it was a very small, compact storm. If you live north of the storm, you barely got any damage from it at all. But if you happen to live where the eye went through, it was very dangerous. The storms that we're looking at, like Matthew, that was an enormous storm. It was so big, and it's, it's no wonder that it had the potential to impact much more than just the uh, coastline where it might have uh, come on shore. So that's why Disney has to take it very seriously, and everyone else does too. 
So I find it interesting. Disney has really changed the way they think about storms. We think about all the things differently. We kind of consider the whole prospect of preparing for a storm differently. You know, Disney was uh, Disney World was taking down the spires on the castle the day before the storm just to make sure that they wouldn't suffer any wind, wind damage. That's how concerned they were. It goes to show you that they have to take it seriously. And in taking it seriously, you have to be prepared for whatever. I should share with you one other preparatory thing that Disney did. As you know, Disney World has 12 monorails. And in the roundhouse that they have, they actually have room for 10 inside the roundhouse. So the other two, the plan is to put them inside the Contemporary Resort because it's indoors. So what they actually did was they drove both of the monorails inside the Contemporary and then used the tractors to pull plugs in to actually protect the monorail and actually protect the hotel as well so that the rain and wind wouldn't get inside the hotel. So when you see pictures from the days of the storm, you can actually see the two monorails sitting inside the Contemporary, and they've got the uh, plugs in place so you can't actually see out through the little windows, the, the entryways where the monorails go in and out. They have them covered over and the tractors are sitting in place. And that's what they did to protect them. And it's, I thought that was really cool. It's actually one of those interesting things that they do because that's the contingency plan for the monorails. Now, I will say that cast members who um, weren't able to work that day, some of them were able to take a day off, a paid vacation day, basically, and get paid for the day, but they lost a vacation day. Disney has a tendency to make those things up to people in various ways, and I know that when they came back up and running and before they closed, they were doing some extra overtime to try and uh, make sure that they had everything prepared, so they were paying people to stay around and paying people to come back the next day to help things out. So in theory, people came out whole with the amount of money that they were making. Don't know if that's true. I, you know, I just know that that's generally their policy, and they try to do everything they can to make it right. But you can't control the weather. You know, it's it's one of these things where they have no control over what happens in the weather. So they try to do their best. Now, as far as guests go, the ones that weren't staying there, the ones that were coming into town, and uh, were trying to get their vacation started, they did make some amends to their um, agreements with them, and they let people cancel certain reservations and certain dining options and so forth that normally would be non-refundable. So uh, they do do things right. If you were coming for, like, Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party and you had a ticket for it, you could just call and get a refund on it. You either couldn't get there or it was canceled or both because of the, the days that it happened. So you, you would, uh, they, would, um, they would allow you to take advantage of the, the fact that they changed their cancellation policy for a couple of days. So kind of, you know, if they do things right, in general, I thought they handled it really well. It was just for some very specific things where I felt like they could have done a little bit more, but it wasn't all bad. If they keep thinking ahead and keep looking forward, they'll consider a way to do it. And the next time it happens, it'll be even better. And the next time it'll be better than that. So that's the way I see it. Anyway, that's my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. It's kind of a look at Disney and the way that they handled the storm, how they weathered the storm. And remember, if we can dream it, we can do it. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. 
There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 